0: Hello, hello everyone! Welcome back. You are listening to the Palace Way podcast. Why the strange mellow introduction, right? I'm relaxed. I'm happy. I'm buzzed. I'm wavy. Oliver Glazers at the club. Life's good. Harmony restored. Okay. Okay. Drama aside, so many talking points to discuss here on the Palace Way Pod. Um, Not least a six-pointer in a relegation battle against Everton that only actually yielded one point, and yet felt so sort of defining, a kind of closing of the chapter for the club. And with me tonight at this, what I have to admit is at a quarter to 11 recording, which is something we don't normally do, hence the night chef, right? Joining me tonight is Bobby Manzies, the senior editor at The Palace Way. How you doing, Bobby? Evening, Alex. How are you? I'm not actually high, um, contrary to how I might sound, and I'm, I'm just being as strange as normal. But other than that, not too bad. You know, I'm really I say, excited. For...
1: I think you respond spot it's very mellow, very calming. I'm um, just I'm I'm raring to it. talk about Palace now. <laughs>
0: No, no, of course I am. But like I said, I'm just loving it. It's um jokes aside, I think it's uh, it's been really easy today to get wrapped up in all the media that's been coming out from the club and all the news we're starting to see. So just really looking forward to unpacking it. But of course, it's not just me and Bobby tonight here on this uh, this special late edition of the Palace Way podcast, the late show. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome back a returning guest that we haven't seen for some time. Joining us tonight as well is Henry Swain, uh, one of our student writers here at the Palace Way. Um, his particular specialty for those that have looked at, say, our 1% series and um, is the our youth teams here at the club. So we're really delighted to welcome Henry back. How are you doing, mate? I'm great,
2: Alex. Hi, Alex, Bobby. Thanks for having me back. Buzzing, buzzing to chat to you guys tonight.
0: Yeah, likewise, happy to have you, but um, you have interrupted my beauty sleep, uh, Bobby. <laughs> Bobby, you have some choice words, don't you?
1: Yeah, I know. And keeping me up past my bedtime, we've got a
2: press conference to cover tomorrow. It's shocking. Oh well, I'm sorry, lads. I'm sure I'm sure
0: you guys can get over it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely no charm. I'm gonna be steaming all episode. Um so yeah, if you see me waffling off, rambling on, being a bit too mellow, I promise you I'm not I'm not on the wacky back again. I'm just I'm just having a great time. Audie Glasner's here. So many points to cover tonight, guys. Um, and delight to have both of you with me here on this late chef to uh, to take us all through it on this sort of Strange and weird, wonderful journey we've been on as a fan base over the last few weeks or so. It feels like you know that Everton game in particular had so many points to it—a real six-pointer that yielded one point and nonetheless felt so pivotal and kind of poignant. It was a—it was a bit of a closing of the chapter for a club and and the beginning of a new one. Um, but I think we'll jump into it. Let's look at the headlines. You know, I think everyone here is excited about the Oliver Glasner appointment. It feels like the culmination of a lot of fan pressure, but also a. Uh, from a strategic standpoint, quite a forward-thinking move for the club. Um, We did discuss a bit on the last episode about what he exactly would bring to the club, the style of play, the philosophy and so on. Um, We did hear a bit more about that today as he delivered his first interview with the club. Um, But Bobby, I'll just bring you in here. We spoke a little bit about tactics last time, but just for those that missed it or those that want to just brush up and learn a bit more, how are the tactical changes that you expect Glaser to bring? How is it going to impact the squad?
1: Yeah, I think it's a it's a really interesting question because obviously Palace's squad is paper thin at the moment and uh, Glasner's a, a manager who enjoys to use players with that uh, are pacey, that are good on the ball um, and those players that stand out, if you like, for Palace, fit in that um, kind of style, if you like, um, they're unavailable at the moment. So it, it's going to be a tough start for Glasner. Um, but one thing he has got to his name is pragmatism. He, he's a very pragmatic manager. He can work with what he's got certainly for 13 games that we see now. So it's going to be really interesting to see whether he integrates his style of play immediately or if he sees what he thinks is the best fit for the squad just to get the results. So it's going to be, I'm really fascinated to see how they set up against Burnley. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they played the back three again because it worked against Everton. But it's really going to be how he feels, how comfortable he feels with the squad, having worked with them for three days
0: absolutely i think you made some really good points there and um, i will talk about tactics a bit later in terms of formations because i think the way in which certain roles were utilized was incredibly interesting against everton i don't think it's obviously a carbon copy of how we'll play necessarily but i think there's still question marks there um but that being said there was definitely plenty to discuss there so we'll get on to that um henry i want to bring you in here you're kind of our resident youth expert as well um on our last episode we did discuss a bit about. Um, Glasner's propensity to sort of trust young players to give a lot of debuts out and to some degree to bed in youth as well. And um, we already saw the likes of Jake and Raymond and Franco Ume back in training and David Ozo was heavily involved in the first session as well. And these were essentially just the reserve players. And um, how did you expect some of these young players you've been following to maybe get an opportunity under Glasner in the long term? Do you think from that perspective, from a, from a more long term spot planning perspective, it's, it's an ambitious appointment?
2: Look, I think um the, the best part about having the Academy that we have and obviously with category one status, we're more looking at the players under fifteen at the moment, under fifteen, sixteen, that are going to really be that cream of the crop kind of talent. However, we do have a handful of very talented players across the twenty ones and the eighteens, which um, you know, as you hinted to earlier, I've highlighted a, a good few of them in the one percent series on the Palace Way. So if you haven't seen them obviously check those out. But I think we, you know we have we've seen, uh, namely David Ozo, um you know, be handed his first Premier League, proper Premier League minutes really this season, and um I think there's been at times this year where I think a lot of Palace fans have looked at the starting lineup when players like Schlapp have been deployed in that kind of box to box role, and kind of questioned why Ozo hasn't been that man. I think what we can expect with Glasner is that if players impress him in training, he'll play them. So if he likes the look of David Ozo, for example, he will play David Ozo. I don't think he's the sort of manager in in, in the way that Roy did, where he kind of always like edges his bets towards youth player uh, to towards more senior players. Sorry, I think Glasner's probably more the opposite in that sense. Um, I think you know, like you mentioned, we've seen Franco Uma and um, Raymond play, uh, training with the first team. They're two very exciting young attacking players. I think you know, with with the injuries we've got at the moment, and uh, the the kind of severity of the hamstring injuries that Elise keeps picking up, I think it's going to be really important to have those um those backup players, especially when of course we're not in a transfer window, so we can't go out and buy them.
0: Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's really encouraging to see. I think we've always talked about a ceiling on this podcast. It's an idea that we're all quite aligned with. This idea that we want the bar to be raised in terms of where we could be. We don't really expect to get there necessarily immediately we don't expect to see, even see much progress towards it in a tangible sense but we do expect potential to be realized at some point and part of that is always going to be about betting youth in they're literally the future of this club It's obviously for whatever talk about structured plans and debates about that there is there is clearly a plan with the academy you know it's such a huge part of our vision and i think the way in which we see it utilized under glasner could have real implications for the long run so really exciting to see there um Bobby, we've obviously seen our first interview with our new manager um, as part of the club. I mean, we obviously knew a bit about his philosophy and what we could expect from him. And I don't think there were major shocks there. But what did we learn from that interview, Bobby?
1: Yeah, I think I thought it was a really interesting interview, actually. I thought, um, to an extent, there was some really good PR in there from the club. Um, If you take along the lines of when he said around, talk started in the autumn, but the plan would have been for him to take over in the summer. I mean, if you go by what Dominic Fifield said today, this, the way this managerial shift happened was actually quite messy um, and that that's certainly what I was being told um, they were, went for numerous candidates um, before turning to Glasner it was all very it was all over the place as such uh, the club knew they needed an immediate change and they had to do it and they were scrambling so I, I thought that from that degree it was very good PR from the club uh, making out like it was all this easy appointment but that really wasn't the case and I, th- I think that should be stressed to fans um, but I thought from him, taken away from him, I, I, th- I thought he was an interesting character. I, I think he seemed invested, um, at certainly using words like responsibility to feel the vision and things and going to be successful. I, I was encouraged by it. I, I certainly think, I certainly rate him tactically and I started to rate him more as a person because I haven't heard him speak loads. So he, as for me, certainly he brought me on side for that interview. I, I thought it was it was really encouraging. I think it's the best word I could use to describe it.
0: Absolutely. I think he cut a really composed figure. Um, I have to admit, it's not like Roy didn't. I think Roy, particularly in his, in his more seasoned years at Palace, again, had a very calming aura to him. Um, and, a, and a sort of tactical intelligence that we see with Glasner is something that kind of takes that to the next level. And um, I think the way in which his personality is embedded on the squad will be really interesting. We'll never really know the full picture on that, but I think it's something worth, worth raising. Henry, do you have anything to add on that? I mean, how did you feel that, and um, Glasner came across in his interviews, and per- perhaps to look at his training video as well with his first session with the club. Well, touching
2: on what Bobby said with the PR kind of element of it, I think it was a very interesting move for them to wait until this morning to publish the interview, and to it kind of left the Palace fans for a few days just kind of building the excitement around the, the new the new the new appointment, which is um you know for me I felt. I felt excited for the first time in an extremely long time as a Palace fan. I thought, "Well, actually, I, I quite want to watch Palace on Saturday against Burnley," which I I genuinely cannot remember thinking that about uh, a first team Palace game for quite quite some time now. To be completely honest, um, I think I think it is a time to be a bit more excited and a bit more optimistic. You know, we look at the likes of you know the Brentfords, the Wolves, that you know we saw that graphic against Everton on Monday night with the, with the list of teams that have qualified for Europe since we've been in the Premier League. And it's just, it's crazy. You know, whole city are on there, for example, and they're, you know, I think sixth place in the championship right now. So there's no reason why we can't be looking at this appointment and to be honest, just getting really excited as a fan base. And hopefully it kind of brings everything together and we get that positive, you know, a positive vibe really back around Salehurst and the atmosphere can be absolutely bouncing on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I think as well from the um, interview, he um, did touch on his philosophy as such. And I thought he came out with two really interesting lines. The one about where he said uh, his philosophy is quite simply scoring goals. And um, the other one about um, how essentially everything comes back to how you defend. Um, sometimes it'll be a high pressing football or sometimes it'll be a low block. I think mentioned it earlier on. It's just that pragmatism that we all want to see. But that ambition to score goals and that ambition to score goals that faded under Roy Hodgson is something to really, for fans to get excited about. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to these next 13 games under Glasgow. We've got a fight on our hands, don't get me wrong. I mean, Palace are in serious risk of going down. And I don't think changing your manager necessarily stops that when your players are out. But this new manager bounce, hopefully a bit more excitement around the club, a bit more buy-in from the fans, which, which had been lost. So hopefully for the football club, this, they can turn that corner, but they, don't get me wrong, they've still got a battle on their hands and, and they're not out
0: of it yet. It's something I was going to raise actually about um, just the short term. You know, like you said, we have 13 games. We are in a relegation scrap. The, you know, there is an immediate sense of urgency. We're in a situation. So the club asked the same thing, but obviously behind the lens of PR and obviously the fact that this is, you know, something that we're going out to the public via the club. And, um, so I'll ask you this, Bobby, instead, but we're a bit more unfiltered. I mean, what does Glasner need to do in the short term before the end of the season? What are his most immediate priorities?
1: Win. I mean, I think it's quite as simple as that, to be honest. You've got, um, Burnley coming up. You've got Luton coming up. Um, a couple of, uh, what well, you've got to play Forest as well, Forest away. I mean, those three games there. Are must win. You have to win those games. You could go to Tottenham and get smashed, but try and play football. That'd be fine. You just need to beat Sheffield United, Burnley, and Nottingham Forest by any means necessary. But that, that's your targets, and that keeps you in the division. But that's all he's got to worry about this um this spell is getting the players on side and d- doing enough to keep the club in the division. So, in other words, setting a
0: foundation. I think winning is important, but yeah. that's obviously going to come with that as well. I mean, just more granularly, I kind of want to tease this out a bit. What do we think about say set pieces? I mean, we know for instance, this six sense coaching staff he's brought in doesn't include a specialist set piece coach like say a lot of fans have been calling for, but there is expertise with coaching set pieces within them so well, yeah, one might of the yeah
1: one of the assistant managers, whose name's gone from me now, which is pretty poor as a journalist, but whatever um he specializes in set pieces um so actually, there is that uh, specialty in set pieces there, so there'll be more of a focus on set pieces which is vital because Palace, as we all know, have the worst record from set-pieces in the league. They've got a 0% goal conversion from corners and they've had in excess of 100 corners this season. So it's really dire for them. Um, and that's something they need to focus on. And, you know, if you look at Everton, their focus on set-pieces has really paid off for them this season. and It's picked them up a hell of a lot of points in games where they've been substandard, when they've only had two chances in the game and they've both come from corners and they've they've taken... Three points from games. So to stay in division, they really need that focus on corners. It it could just add another, add another string to your bow, if you like. It just adds that another element for Crystal Palace to pick up points in games from. Even if you're just hanging in a game, if you're playing Tottenham, for example, and you, you know, it's not all going to go your way and it doesn't. But if you get that one corner and you whip it in and it hits Matetta on the head and goes in, you know, that's the difference between three points and a point. So it's certainly something they need to focus on. It's certainly something they will focus on and fingers crossed they can get it right.
0: We as firms focus on the top level, don't we? I think that we get caught up in the big narrative, we get caught up in the firm, we get caught up in the, the sort of progression of the club. But actually it's these granular margins, these little things that define a season, that define success, that quite literally keep clubs in the game. It, it's it's phenomenal in terms of what it can do. I think what we want to see is more detail, more intelligence, more sort of tactical now towards these elements, because we're so clearly lacking in various departments. i um, we have to move on, unfortunately. There's plenty of football to cover, plenty more to come. Um, I think Glasner and, and how he develops in these next few weeks is going to be of critical importance to all of these episodes that are to come because, I mean, it's, it's just going to be so obvious as something that we'll discuss. We're going to slowly see a tactical style being implemented that we probably haven't really seen done before. You know, we we played a back three under De Boer, for instance, and that was horrendous. We didn't have the personnel for it. I digress. Um, we have to look at Everton. It's that simple. We talked about it earlier as a six-pointer you did a point. I mean, it's a very simple question first, but I'll just bring you in on this, and Bobby. Were you happy with a point? There was always a mentality of don't lose, I think, for both teams that was going to come in. But were you ultimately happy with the result?
1: I'd have taken it before the game, for sure. I'd have taken a point up there. I'd have taken a goal up there. Um, so, I, And I actually thought the performance on the whole was decent. I mean, if you're a neutral, you would have turned the game off after 15 minutes. But um, as a Palace fan, I was quite pleased with the performance. Um, I thought there was a lot of spirit. I thought there was a lot of desire. And that's something that we feel like we've been missing in recent weeks. So it was it was great to see that. Um, there was a willingness to an attack. Um, it, the performance was encouraging, I think is probably the best word to use. Um, so yeah, I was happy with the point. I was even more happy with the performance, if you like. And I think it sets a solid foundation
0: going into the new era. It was certainly an interesting time, wasn't it? We felt like a rudderless team. You know, we had Paddy McCarthy and Ray Lewington taking charge of the game, who certainly for the latter, it's probably his last last shot of management. Um, And Paddy McCarthy, obviously a very uh, experienced coach in terms of his time at the club, but not necessarily at the highest level. It was always going to be interesting. And I think the way we set up in that game was kind of a precursor to a new era. You know, we played a, a back three. We had really defined roles for the wing backs. I felt they were like box to box wingers more than wing backs. It was genuinely phenomenal. And um, just to by the way, as a bit of a, a bit of a side note, some insight on them, we played this 3-4-2-1 system and Tyreek Mitchell had one chance and one missed big chance, so you know, creating at that end 73 touches, nine defensive actions and ten duels. But I was there. I was really, really close to the action itself at Goodison, and it was even apparent that you get that kind of data just by being there. I mean he was everywhere at both ends. I thought he was phenomenal.
1: The, I thought he was the best player on the pitch. Um maybe aside from Watson. I I thought Mitchell was absolutely fantastic. Um after the game I was chatting to someone and we just said how well he played, and under Glasner, he's only going to get better because he's going to add a new attacking element to his game, because that's what's going to be demanded of him playing in that left wing back kind of role. And he's got that ability. He's got that passing ability. He's got that dribbling ability, but he's quite conservative and he does what he's told. He's he's a top professional and he's never been given the licence to attack in any system he's played in. So I really think you will see a next level of Tyrek Mitchell under Oliver Glasner. And, and I just can't express how good he, good he was on Monday night. And the missed chance doesn't bother me because at least he was confident enough to get in that position. I, I just thought he
0: played very, very well. Brilliant, wasn't it? Munoz, by the way, just for those wondering, very similar. He had two chances like Tyrik. He had 54 touches, five defensive actions, and one two duels. It's a really similar picture. And both men had their weaknesses at times. You know, both men lost some of those duels some of the time. Like, it did happen. But ultimately, I think for two players who have rarely been played that advanced at Palace, a bit different from Munoz maybe because he's, he's new, um, it was still really interesting to see. They, they adapted really well um, and had a really big impact on um the exact defensive build up that we, we must in that game. I think pretty much most of the width in, in any kind of attacking process came through them. And I think that's really telling. It's the sort of system that, um, you know, we used to play before. And um, but let's look at midfield because I think one person that really caught attention was Adam Wharton. Um, obviously a very young acquisition, a very new acquisition with a big price tag over his head for this level, but he seems to be slotting in like, like nothing's happened. He's just every single week. He seems composed that we've seen him. He just seems to go from strength to strength, doesn't he, Henry? I'll bring you in on this. I mean, how did you find Adam Wharton's game, and tell me a bit about his overall performance?
2: Well, I mean, I think for me, there's there's a, there's a handful of players in Palace history, obviously since my Palace history, that um I've I've seen play uh, only a couple of games since they've come in and just love them. I think Johan Kabai stands out for me. Um, I always love Joe Ledley for for some bizarre reason. And Adam Wharton is definitely on that list. I think he's he he plays with such a mature and calm head on his shoulders. I think his he makes good decisions, but he's also ambitious. He, you know, I know it's in the first half especially. It, there was on occasion he gave the ball away trying to make quite ambitious passes, but. I like the fact that he's looking forward and he's trying to play these first-time whips around the corner 25-yard passes into the striker's feet. Maybe we don't have the strikers just yet that are on that level on the ball and technically to to know that that's coming and to be able to deal with that and and kind of move the play on, but I I just think we've hit an an absolute gem once again. I'm not surprised, you know, we've seen it with countless examples now of Diggy Freeman scouting and he, he knows what he's doing. So it doesn't come as a surprise, but I just think he 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 plays with he plays like a seasoned veteran Premier League midfielder and in terms of his age he's the opposite of that. It's brilliant.
1: Yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head really. And I think the other thing that's so impressive about him is the fact that he's playing out of position because if if you think of him as decore and lerma when they were playing next to each other, he's Lerma, but he's actually playing a decore role and he's doing it excellently. And it's just so, so impressive to see someone come out of the Championship, straight into the Premier League, give him a birth of fire against Brighton. And apart from the mistake he made, thought he played pretty well. And come into that Chelsea game, be the best player in midfield. And then come into that Everton game, which was a huge relegation six-pointer. And that can't be understated. And once again, be the best player on the pitch. just think he's been phenomenal. Just so, so good. Really impressive again. I say him and Mitchell in that game
0: on uh, against Everton.
1: uh, Just unbelievable to underline
0: your point by the way and I don't want to go all sort of data now because I'm I love data I think it's got a place in football another conversation but it's not everything but I think just I think your data that really, is
1: better than me keep using the word unbelievable I think I need to fix my vocabulary a little
0: bit <laughs> yeah. no don't worry I mean it, it, I think it's if there's one word that describes it it's just that um, for context if Wharton ranked among all Premier League players per 90 he would rank like this so for tackles one in 1v1 duels he'd come first this is it. we among all players. This is this is your Rodriguez, your Casemiro, as you name it. First for total tackles as well. This is across a 90, by the way. So it's a bit more comparable. Fourth in interceptions. And admittedly, for someone who's, you know, not necessarily an attacking midfielder or someone who's that number 10 role or necessarily or a, a kind of playmaker type, he'd still hit 13th for key passes. So what this says okay. here is someone who is incredibly confident in 1v1 situations, in ball winning, in tackling, which by the way, I test against Everton at. Pitch level was so obvious. He, every single time he got the ball, he seemed to just glide with it for a little bit. He, he didn't always get his pass off when he should have, but for the most part, he had a very solid game. He did create a number of chances himself. He was so, so confident in every department. And it's so, so fascinating that we've been able to pull this off with what seems like very little competition because I have, I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to call it too early, but he's 20 years old and yet he's adapting to the Premier League. They're bearing on, he's, this is his, what is his third game in the Premier League. He's just come out so so confidently and so yeah. so positive. It's it's phenomenal. I we haven't I, seen I, the sorry. ceiling for a while like this. Yeah. I think the stats speak
1: for themselves really, but it just to come into the Premier League, ooze so much confidence, get on with the job with such professionalism, and just make it look so easy. It's just impressive. And you can't quite believe it. Um and he's just been phenomenal. He's in two of the three games he's played for Palace, he's controlled midfield. It it's just Really astonishing. I've uh, been so impressed.
2: And hey, I think a it, I what think a great coup. A hundred percent. And I think what's really important to state is that he hasn't, he's not coming into a, a Man City or an Arsenal or a Chelsea or a Liverpool where maybe you take Chelsea out of that, but where, <laughs> you know, you can kind of ease them in and there's a little bit less pressure. You know, he's being thrown in the, in quite literally, the deep end yep. where there's pressure on his shoulders instantly and he's just risen so far ab- above i think what anyone's expectations originally were of him yeah and, and I said, i'm honestly um, just, just yeah. so excited to what to just keep watching him play and see how he develops over the rest of the season and and the seasons to come as well
1: and i said um i said after brighton away i was so unbothered by the mistake he made yes he gave a goal away but it was so unbothered because players like that are going to make mistakes in the Premier League. And I would much rather you make it when you're, wherever we were at the time, 2-1 or 3-1 down, than in these games. And even that little mistake there, you feel like he's learned so much from it. He's broadened his shoulders so much. And he's just been a revelation in midfield for Palace. It's exactly what they needed. And under Glasner, he could just hit that next level. And I mean, God knows how good he's going to be.
0: It's scary, but not for us. That's how I'm feeling. <laughs> we are back, ladies and gentlemen. We are so back. You just know
1: back. he's going to drop a stinker in the next game. I know, anymore. we jinxed we We're we going to be it. all on
0: here eating our words on Monday. I know. It's, it's genuinely quite scary. I think we've done the jinx of the century there. But anyway, um, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, I think at some point we're going to have to obviously discuss Everton, their physicality and, and, and their goal. But I think before we do, and we touch on that low point of the game, um, let's just talk about a moment of beauty. Let's just slow things down. I'm going to get therapeutic again. I'm going to get mellow. You know, let's talk about Jordan Ayu, because there is no smoother operator in the league than the world's most beautiful man. Let's be honest. It's it's Jordan Ayu, guys. You know, whether it's his link up with Mateta, that, that big, bald, beautiful man, or his own silky ability to weave through people, he just <laughs> does something else, doesn't he? I mean, it's a superb goal. Um, and I think we get so bogged down in stats and analysis and, and trying to unpick things but you know football is more of a craft it's not a science it's not an art it's somewhere in between but if there was a moment of art in that game it was painted by none other than Jordan I so Bobby talk to me a bit about that goal
1: oh the goal was stunning wasn't it I think that's the only word I can use to describe it um it came from a good bit of play actually um Palace did really well I actually thought they were working really well on the right hand side for the entire game the link up between Munoz, Ayu and Mateta all game long was fantastic um and the goal just came from pure quality. Um, Once he got there and levered it up to shoot, I wasn't even sure it was going to go in and it just rocketed in. It was an unbelievable strike and a great way to go 1-0 up. And it was more than deserved for Palace. Um been, They'd been the better side, certainly in the first half and they were up against it at times in the second half. But I thought they deserved to go 1-0. Unfortunate to Everton to equalise in the way they did. Another set piece. The less the better. But uh,
0: I was impressed and, and the goal just topped it off, really. Henry, just uh, before we look at Everton's goal itself, I mean, throughout the game, and I think it happened at both ends, really, there was a lot of frenetic moments. You know, we had Tyreek Mitchell almost being able to get a shot away. We had Munoz, who was relatively unmarked at the back post before hitting it to Lerma, who then, you know, skied it. We had a number of saves for Sam Johnston. I mean, there's so much more that we could spend, you know, in terms of unpacking time. But let's just talk a bit about Johnston himself, because... He had to make a number of key saves, came in back into a side in it. what was a huge game for the club. And there's obviously a lot of debate among Palace fans between Henderson and Johnston. Now, if you take a statistical approach, neither of them look too different from one another in terms of, you know, the expected goals they're preventing and so on. But, I mean, there was a certain confidence that came at Johnston, a familiarity. I mean, do you think I'm overstating that or do you think there's genuinely something to be said here that he's kind of won that debate in the short term?
2: Well, I, the the thing with this goalkeeper debate that I I struggle with is that I think that that the, their their areas of weakness individually are the same. I think they're both poor in the air. They're not great uh, at kind of the, commanding their boxes. They both seem to be kind of. I think that does definitely play into our set piece woes this year. However, I think when you when you match up, when you look at the saves that Sam Johnston made in this game. I don't believe Henderson makes uh, makes the double save where he kind of gets gets across really quickly to kind of punch away the ball uh, for the for the second clearance I don't believe Henderson makes that I think we see we've seen a lot of times this season Henderson tend to go for saves with his feet which I, it, it makes sense for me Um, obviously growing up at Manchester United and being under the tutorage of David De Gea who was one of the best keepers in the world for saves with his feet it, it makes sense But I don't think that works for Palace. Um, I think Sam Johnston, I I think it's from with Glasgow watching that performance, I think it's going to be very hard for him to drop Johnston. And, you know, I I could see it being a case where with no more cup games, you know, it might be SJ in goal for the rest of the season now.
1: I'd agree on the, th- the fact that Sam Johnson will probably be in goal for the rest of the season now. I think if Henderson's in goal, Palace lose the game 3-1. Um A, a couple of chances that I don't think he saves. Uh But I, what, what I would disagree on is the fact that Johnson doesn't command his area. I think he does. Uh Certainly as someone who's used to play in goal, I, I watch it as someone who's got good command over his area. I thought... I thought he was at fault for the goal, don't get me wrong, but I actually thought he was unlucky because I, the way I watched it, I haven't seen it back many times, but the, the, the few times I've seen it back, I think he gets blocked off by Anderson. I think it makes it hard for him to get there. But I think on normal occasions, he commands, he's commands his box really well. I actually think Johnson's weakness is he's kicking. I think his kicking ability is not great. It's not as good as it probably used to be. And sometimes he's at fault with his feet. But other than that, I think he's quite a strong, well-rounded goalkeeper. And I, I think... Henderson is too, don't get me wrong, but I think he's, I think you can tell he's a player who's not had consistent minutes for quite a while. And yeah, I know he's had a stretch of four or five games in the Palace side, but that's not enough when you've come off the back of a long injury and whatnot. Um, so I, I, I think Henderson will be a good buy for the future. But It's just certainly he's not the number one right now. And, and that's Sam Johnson. And I think he keeps his space.
0: It's not just a question of, of experience. It is also a question of sharpness. I mean, you are right to raise that. Um, but, you know, Henderson has been bought in for the long term and we at the moment are firefighting. There is a big difference in terms of immediacy, in terms of urgency from a strategic standpoint. You know, at the end of the day, we need to stay up. If Sam Johnson is the most experienced for the job, if he seems the most agile, if he seems to be, you know, commanding the, the back line and giving us stability, then we're going to need to take that. We're going to need to capitalise on that because we need that springboard. Um, I don't want to gloss over the goal, but unfortunately, I think we did cover it a little bit. And I think just in the interest of time, I think we need to just move on to the future a bit. Um, This is a bit of a shorter episode, but I think we obviously want to look ahead to Burnley. I think fan atmosphere is something that is always, always, always underpinning a lot of the discussions that fans are having. So just quickly, Henry, talk me through the atmosphere that you expect to see at Burnley. Um, Just before I I bring you in, actually, I mean, I'm sure some of you have seen there's a campaign to spring scarves back to Selhurst. Um, It's sort of what was done before the Leicester game last season, where Palace famously won an extra time and and used that as a springboard for a phenomenal run under Roy Hodgson. Um, And we expect to see a kind of similar atmosphere against Burnley. I mean, do you expect the sort of effect to be the same? Do you expect it to really, really get behind the team and, and to serve as a springboard for further ambition?
2: Well, I mean, I for one hope that the game is a bit uh, more relaxed than that. I was at that Leicester game, and whilst it what is and was one of my favourite, um, got individual goals and individual moments. Being a Palace fan in recent years, I'd much rather that Saturday's a lot smoother. You know, this is a, you know, if we're looking at it realistically, this is a a, a really poor Burnley side. They're not good. We know that Company will keep trying to play the exact same way that he's been playing all season because. Quite frankly, he's stubborn, and he's got a chairman behind him that doesn't is it, never going to sack him, at least not any time this season. So we we know what Burnley are going to bring. We know that they're not great, and it I it should be it shouldn't. I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that we should batter him, but I think we should be expecting a, a positive performance. I think. Getting getting the crowd going is only going to make that better. I think naturally with a new manager, the crowd's going to be up for it because there's that level of excitement. I I love the whole bring your scarf initiative. I think it looks incredible. You know, it gives us the you know as media, it gives us the chance for some new um, some nice new pictures to put on the front of some articles, which is always lovely. But um, I think I think I think it should be a seller should
0: be rocking on Saturday, and I fully expect that to be the case. Absolutely, I mean it's something that I think is really encouraging. So. I hope we can bring back that kind of atmosphere. But even without this kind of fan-led initiative that kind of replicates old old stories, you know, the atmosphere is going to be lifted naturally. People have got the change that they were hoping for. We've got a manager who plays into the ambition. We have a board that looks a bit more unified in its thinking now with what's going on on the pitch, on the training grounds, in the dugout. You know, all of these things are starting to coalesce in a way that people have been crying out for for some time. And just for that first time in a long while, we go back to this idea of the ceiling. It feels like it's lifted again. It could take five years. It could take all sorts. We might never get to Europe. It doesn't matter. The potential is always there again because we're playing football that necessitates that. We've got a board that's bought into that. I think that's really interesting. Now, there are minor side, There are little issues with that, but we have to move on. And um, I want to talk a bit about the tactical approach because one thing we haven't visited yet is this change shape. I think we touched briefly upon how the wingbacks were used, but this ultimate shape, particularly with the backline and, and defensive standpoint is something I really want to, want to look at. Um, we saw Joel Ward coming in as a makeshift centre-back, I think, long-term. Gay yeah, he's returning from injury soon and we could see him in there. So, Bobby, I'll just bring you in on this um, because I haven't heard from you a bit on this. Um, how would you expect the back line specifically to operate?
1: So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the defensive shape is on Saturday, whether he goes with the back three that we've seen against Everton or maybe goes back to the back four. Um, you'd kind of want him to stick with the back three because I think Richards deserved to keep his place. I think... Um, Anderson, you know what you get with him. I don't think he's been as good this season. I certainly thought he was better on Monday night, but I still think he's a little bit erratic and I still think he, the failure to win a header is quite bemusing. Um, and obviously, Mark Geek uh, coming back into the side, So that's a, that's a good one to see. Um, but then again, it's harsh to drop Waldy because I thought he was fantastic um, against Everton. But it was really impressive. I thought maybe he should be playing right centre-back more often rather than right back because I, I thought... He got on with his defensive duties well there. Um, And he he was certainly a much better performance than what we'd seen before his injury. Um, So, yeah, defensive shape, whether it's a four or a three, I don't mind. Um, I think the personnel there suits either. Maybe a five more, as I say, because um, getting Richards in and allowing Munoz to be attacking on the right. But it will be interesting. Um, He certainly got a selection conundrum, which is what you prefer, really, um, for a new manager coming in. You wouldn't want him to be forced to pick a certain backline because you're necessarily regarded best players. It, it, it lets him to be a little bit creative.
0: Just separately, I wanted to talk a bit about Wall because I think it was quite clear he struggled to put the afterburners on during that game, but as a separate issue. I still think he had a fairly comfortable game and looked quite positive there. That being said, there are some more selection conundrums up front, um, particularly in the striking role. I think Matata, he's been good in transition. He's been getting assists. He's really been a benefit to the squad's we know from experience that Glasner likes of out their course type target man. We saw him get the best out of Randal Kola uh, Muani at, at Frankfurt as well. He's seen, you know, incredible rises of strikers that fit the Metata mould. And I think there's a genuine excitement about what people could expect from Metata in this kind of new system, particularly with the likes of Eze and Elise coming in. So really interesting there. But, you know, we have this poacher, Eduard. He wasn't really effective on the left. Do you think he starts, Bobby? I'm not
1: sure. Um... I think you make a good point about Kulamani and Weghorst. But I also think that Glasner really likes pace. And I think if you're going for pace, you're going to pick Eduardo over Mateta. Whereas if you're going for that Kulamani, weghorst profile striker, you'd probably play Mateta. Maybe both will play um, with Ayu the other side until um, Eze is ready to come back into the side and Elisa is ready to come back into the side. It's a difficult one. Um, I personally don't know. Um, I'd like him to play Franca. I'd like him to play IU. I don't think you can drop Matessa the way he's playing at the minute, even though he's not scoring. I, I just think he's been one of our best players. So it's certainly another conundrum that I've not quite got the answer to
0: plenty of questions and I'm sure we'll get plenty of answers on Saturday I think you know we can try and crystal ball it all we want but I think that you know we're always going to have some question marks until we know it aren't we I mean th- but that being said I think there's plenty of players and I think we touched on this the last time as well there are plenty of players that can benefit from a change of thinking not least a change of system and I think it's going to be really exciting to see where these players that have been neglected come in so particularly Ahamadar and France, who maybe will get more minutes off the bench and probably more starts with luck as well I think really interesting to see how Glaser develops them um, I think as part of the discussions when taking this role, these underutilised players would have been part of the conversation. You know, you'd be mad not to ask the question of how you get the best out of these assets. So, really excited to see, you know, whether Glass's pragmatism take, comes first or whether he really, really backs youth. But either way, I think we can expect positive change straight away. I really do believe that, and I think if Everton is anything to go off of, I think you know a change of system could really yield some good merits. And um, but before we wrap up, I wanted to bring Henry back in because. If you're not already familiar with Henry's work, and you should be, um, if you go over to thepalaceway.com, you'll find plenty of series of, of amazing articles looking at our audience and our 21s, as well as some of the lads out on loan. So I really wanted to look again about the idea of you to kind of come full circle a bit about the longer term vision for the club. You know, we have one to buy into again, it seems we have a, a manager who's bought into that himself by his own admission. There is something going on at the top again that feels a little bit exciting. Now, you know, it's a conversation for another time about whether the board structure is, is, is adequate, whether it's, it's you know, free of all the problems we need it to be free on to progress fully. Another discussion. But our, as we've said before, our academy is going to be the bedrock of any future plans. So, Henry, I've done a bit of rambling here, but I want to hand over to you. So Let's focus a bit on about, first of all, the lads out on loan. I mean, what we've seen from them over the last week and how encouraged are you by their development so far?
2: Well, uh, one of the standouts for me, I think, so Kofi Barmer obviously has unfortunately picked up a hamstring injury with Wimbledon. He has looked very bright there, though. Of course, I mean, we can let Bobby have a little word in a minute about his performance, uh, along with John Kamani Gordon, as he went to watch him the other night. Um, I think Mola's doing very well at Burton Albion. I'm I'm sorting out tickets to go and watch him uh, a couple of times before the end of the end of the season at the Prairie League, which would be good. Um, you know he's got his first assist in senior football, which is good. Still waiting for the first goal, but he's um seemingly one of the first names on the team sheet at the moment, which is obviously a very positive sign. Um, I think there's a, in the academy there's kind of a feeling where it was all going extremely well, and it's, it feels like some things are going starting to go wrong now. You know, Balmer's injury and. We saw Luke Brown make his debut against Villa in the uh, quarterfinal of the uh, Under-18 Premier League Cup. He looked brilliant for 40 minutes and then pulled up with a, what looked like a bit of a hamstring injury. Uh, still not certain about the length that he'll be out, but hopefully it's not serious because he looked like looked to be a very positive addition to the squad. Um, of course, uh, Zach Marsh went down injured in front of the crowd at Selhurst. Um, From what I can, uh, from what I understand, he's going to be out for a few months with uh, a pretty bad hamstring injury, which is a massive shame for him because he's just had a a ridiculous season. I think it's 26 goals he scored this year, which is just crazy. Um, uh, Hindou Mustafa is also out, another under-18 player that's been playing phenomenally, phenomenally, sorry, uh, central attacking midfielder. He's just got this ridiculously athletic build. He just makes the game look so ridiculously simple. Um, I think one of the positives at the moment that's coming out of the academy uh, is that there's a bit of time now, especially for the under-18s before their next game. I believe they don't play until the 27th uh, in a competitive fixture. I know um, they've got a, a kind of behind-closed-doors-friendly sort of game against Wimbledon on Friday night, which is going to be a mix of the 18s and the 21s, um, as Bobby informed me earlier, which is great to know. Um, I think the next the next game for the, for the 18s is Norwich, Norwich away, which will be a, a tough game. Norwich are a very, very good academy side. They've been performing quite well this season. So, I mean, every game at this level is very, very competitive and has, you know, there's individuals on each team that can really make a difference. Um, I think the the general feeling around the academy is very optimistic. You know, there's a, a lot of trophies to play for at the moment. We've got the um the the semi final now of the under 18s Premier League Cup for the under 18s Uh, they're they're travelling up to Manchester to to face United, which will be a, a blockbuster of a game. Uh, hope hopefully a few of the players that are injured will be back for that. Um, because it, it's it's a real chance for these youngsters to win some win some trophies. We saw. Danny and Ray and Frank Ouma speak about that after the Brighton game, um, when they're 21-1-2-1 with a last-minute winner. And um, the whole the whole vibe around the academy, they just seem like a real good group of lads and they're all really motivated and just well drilled into, you know, they know what they want to do and they're, they're, they're taking every every game very seriously, which is obviously great to see so yeah it's a very exciting time for the academy um if you've not checked it out we've got the one percent series that's that's been going very well i'm very pleased with it i think we're, we're up to maybe eight features now i think we've got we've got more more in the in the pipeline and of course match reports for as many as many 18s games uh, and 21s games as i can get my eyes on really around uh around union work but yeah it's It's a very exciting time for palace, and the academy, like you said is it's the kind of bedrock of the future, so definitely yeah definitely something to be excited about
1: and the next twenty ones game is Monday night isn't it
2: i believe so i i to be honest for some reason i i have i i think because of obviously the Category one status i have um i seem to enjoy teams. i might have a slight bias there i'm kind of a more a bit more familiar with a few of the players, but
1: yeah no, um that. yeah the twenty ones
2: again very exciting.
1: Twenty ones, I think they play at Sutton on Monday night, um, in the cup. So that would be interesting. Um, I
2: think, yeah, I think it's back, back to back cup games. Yeah, I, feel, but for I think it's Monday, Friday, something, like that.
1: Um, obviously, I think it's quite important to touch on Joe Sheridan as well. Obviously, um, everyone at the pod, everyone at the Palace Way send our best wishes to him. Um, after a horrific injury he's sustained against Leicester, um, and we just hope that he recovers as well as possible. Um. And I just want to touch on the like, uh, the kids out on loans. As Henry said, I, I went to f- um, Leighton Orient on Saturday to watch Mola, who I thought was very strong. Um, I, I thought he played quite well um, in the first half. He was feeding off scraps a lot because um, uh, they, they they didn't want to attack Burton at all. Uh, they just kept late kept letting Leighton Orient come at him. But um, I thought he he coped well. And in the second half, his life was a lot easier. And I thought he I thought he performed decently. And um, on Tuesday night, I went over to AFC Wimbledon to watch JK and Kofi. And I, as Kofi went down injured, I'd literally just press send on a text to someone to say he's playing brilliantly here. He's come on so much. His long throws are super impressive. Um, so that was really disappointing. He was performing very well. I was super impressed. He's, he's come on bundled since the last time I saw him play. And, uh, JK was a little bit underwhelming. Um, he didn't really offer much, but he's not a striker and they, they were playing him as a, as, as a second striker, if you like. It just didn't work. You, you want to see him go out on the wing. A couple of line moves in the academy that aren't working at the minute. Uh, most notably, probably Sean Graham and Carlisle, but hopefully he can start to see some more minutes soon because their defense is shipping goals for fun. Um, so they've got to change it at some point.
2: Just sorry, just want to follow up what you said about Joe Sheridan. From from everything I can gather, he's a he's a real top lad and he you know, he 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 really cares about Palace and about his you know, of course, like they all do about his career. So obviously just sending all the best wishes for his recovery and yeah, so, you know, it's one of those where hopefully we we can only hope that he comes back stronger from it.
1: My understanding is he is he is okay. Um but that's all, all I can say on it, really. Um, as I say, he's constantly in my thoughts, and we do, we just hope he recovers as well as he possibly can because both injuries he sustained that night were horrific.
0: It's a real shame what happened to Joe, and just want to echo what you said very, very quickly. Obviously, we all send our best wishes to him and his family. Speedy recovery, yeah? Um, but for once, it feels like we flipped the switch there. It's a bit of a, a sour or a sad note to what is otherwise a very optimistic part. So, You know, things are on the up. Whether it's at the youth level or perhaps more pertinent to to what fans are talking about, you know, the first team. um, It's really exciting times under Oliver Glasner. We want to caveat it by saying, you know, we can't predict the future. There is a small chance that it does go wrong, or that we don't get the result we want against Burnley. We we don't know at the time of recording what will happen, but what we do know is that you can follow the roller coaster all the way with us. Um, thank you very much for joining us on what has been this weird and wonderful Night Shift episode. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at The Palace Way and check our content out at thepalaceway.com. It's spelled exactly as how you'd imagine it. Um, if you are enjoying this pod, please feel free to leave us a review. And even if you're not, we want to appreciate all feedback that we're given. So please make sure you communicate with us via your reviews on wherever you're listening to this podcast. Anything is appreciated. I really can't stress that enough. Um, I'm delighted to say, and I won't say who right now, but we're delighted to be welcoming a very, very special guest onto the next episode of The Palace Way. So we'll be recording on Monday right after the uh, the Burnley game weekend and we'll be right back at you with uh, all the latest analysis and news that we can. So thank you again for all your love and support and we're looking forward to seeing you in the next one. Bobby, any closing thoughts from you?
1: Not really. I say um, just make sure to check out the website. Um, me and my team, I say me and my team, my team are doing some fantastic work over there. Um, make my job as an editor very easy and I say check out the articles they're great and uh, really I feel like I learn a lot from reading and editing them so I'm, I'm sure everyone listening will love reading them so yeah just go over to thepalaceway.com. Yeah
0: no, thank you very much Henry any closing thoughts from you? Well i
2: just hug my own work I guess um the last if, uh, I know we've been there's been a lot of talk about the the apparel coming out of Palace uh I released an article was, I can't remember whether it was today or yesterday. It doesn't matter when when you're listening. But um there's an article out about um uh, Kenny Ann and Jonathan and his work at Palace. And I think yeah, it's definitely worth a read if you're interested in buying Palace merch in the next few years because it's very exciting times in that.
0: Bit of a unique angle there. It's something that I think doesn't get enough coverage, I think, you know, in terms of the commercial side of the club. It's still part of the club. Might not always be the first thing on the on the uh the mind of fans, but it's something that I think is still really, really interesting. So as I say, if you want to check out all of this unique content, please make sure you do so at the palaceway.com. Um but one final sign off from me. Um thank you very much for your support and as as I promise, we'll see you in the next one.